Energy Transition Now with David Linden. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm your host, David Linden, the head of energy transition for the Westwood Global Energy Group. And you're listening to Energy Transition Now, the offshore wind mini series. Um, now, if you follow the offshore wind sector in any way, uh, you'll be very familiar with the scale of ambition. Um, new capacity targets seem to be announced um, uh, uh, almost every week, if not every month, um, uh, around the world. Uh, and these really help to drive the industry forward. The challenge, though, is in delivering on those ambitions and those targets. While previous guests on this podcast have um, spoken on the question of deliverability in sort of newer and emerging markets specifically, what about the original sort of birthplace of the industry? What about Europe? Uh, I'm really lucky to have Justine Berg, uh, the Vice President of Business Development in Renewables for Europe uh, from Equinor here with us today to dive into this fundamental question. Justine, it's great Hi. to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, David. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, it is a busy time uh, for well, Equinor, for offshore wind, uh, and lots of things going on in renewable. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Um, let's maybe just start off with some of the basics. Um, you know, not everyone knows what's going on, um, specifically with Equinor and also with offshore wind. So how about we start with the opening kind of question around how does offshore wind fit into Equinor's strategy? Yes, thanks. Uh, a good intro, right? Um, and maybe I should start with who are we a bit, some words about uh, Equinor. Please. Um, we have 50 years, um, or we've celebrated our 15 years anniversary last year. So, And we've been through really interesting journeys, starting from a Norwegian oil and gas uh, company and transforming really to a true global broad energy company. And that is really translated into ambitions level when it comes to renewables, where we want to be a net zero company by 2050 mm -hmm. and translating this ambition by investing 50% of our capex and spendings into renewables and low carbon business areas. So that's really significant. And in terms of, of volumes, uh, we want to have 12 to 16 gigawatts uh, of renewable installed capacity for by 2030. And just to give a flavor, around two-thirds would be expected within within the offshore wind. And, and you mentioned Europe, right? Um, so really, Europe here is a key growth area for, for a company like, like ours. You know, over the last year, very specific uh, context, but we've been a, a proud, important supplier of, of energy to Europe, especially a glass supplier. And um, and uh, and within renewables, you know, we have um, an attractive portfolio from early business development, but also to assets in operation. And we're aiming to grow. Um, and just to give, you know, for example, UK, which is one of our key center for for showing development. We will power nearly 7 million uh, UK homes from our offshore wind farms by 2030. And currently we have this uh, Doggerbank uh, wind farm, which is the world's largest wind farm under construction with, with our partner, SSE. So yeah, definitely offshore wind, offshore wind Europe, really part of, of the solution for, for our, you know, our company and, and solution to the energy transition. And I think it's a technology where it fits very well with our oil and gas experience of offshore complex project, rough water, um, directly applicable to the offshore wind industry. 
and also with a specific issue with regard to our floating offshore wind experience, which we yeah. like a lot, where Equinor has um, installed the first floating uh, turbine, the first floating park, and now is finalizing the construction of the of the largest floating wind wind farm, a high wind uh, tampon in in Norway. Yeah, due to come on this year. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So there's a real history there of offshore wind, I guess. Uh, and then an ambition to 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 do offshore wind globally, whether it's in floating or in fixed, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, and and we see that Europe is is really key here. I think that what we see today is Europe really needs this affordable and secure, reliable electricity. And and power prices have been such last year in such volatility that it has put so much pressure on government in providing this uh, this uh, this energy, um, and that's really what offshore wind can provide. Um, so it would be a, a key a, a key solution for this decarbonisation, and that has led to as you introduced some really really high targets that we've seen, and and we should discuss uh, those probably a bit uh, a bit more. But also these offshore wind electricity is part of this greater value chain, right? Also, it's mm. just not the electrons uh, part, uh, which is important for decarbonizing Europe, the grid, but also it's part of molecules, producing green molecules from that green uh, electricity. So it's, it's really part of a full decarbonization value chain. And you see that it attracts all European economies, whether through its direct generation of those offshore wind um, you know, farms or it's through interconnectors, transmission lines, or even through investments, like even for countries which do not have a, a cost line, like Luxembourg, for example. Mm. Okay, so fascinating. No, I, I I also look at it, I guess, Europe in particular as well. You, you, if you're trying to decarbonize, you need to work out what resources you have at, mm. you know, on your doorstep to be able to do that. And I guess Europe is kind of blessed in some respects to have, okay, shallower waters, but also deeper waters if you go further out but lots of shallower waters and windy conditions. And so being able to take advantage of that resource and do something with that to be able to reach your decarbonisation targets, I think is important. Um, and then yeah, I completely agree with you, the kind of decarbonisation value chain that's there that can be built is an extremely strong proposition. I mean, just, just so people understand who maybe don't spend as much time in this space, when you say green molecules, are we talking about things like hydrogen or sort of the kind of a power to X concept, which is developing maybe e-fuels, SAF and, and uh, sustainable yep. aviation fuels, sorry, et cetera. Yep. Is, is, is that what you're talking about? Exactly. I think that's um, the green hydrogen is probably the, the most known one, uh, but there is all the times of um, all, all those products, right? Green, ammonia. I think power to X is, is another terminology exactly that encompasses all the potential uh, and outcomes from from transforming electrons into into another uh, another product. But it could also be direct heating, for example, or mm. you know the full system integrations components. Okay, and and then sorry, just a sort of question on that point: Is that a core part of how you look at offshore wind in Europe, or is that really a secondary? Part of it. So really, it's about the electron first, and then the green molecule second. Um, from your perspective, yeah, I think that's that's definitely a, it needs to be seen as a full value chain. And I think that it is really about this this full component. I think more and more of this will be also imposed for developer to still be relevant. Uh, okay. And you see that also in in auction, and we can come back about um, what form yeah. of auctions we see, but. 
So system integration, power tricks will be more and more uh, entering into the mature markets like in Denmark, in Netherlands and in Germany. So it's it's really enabling this flexible demand altogether, right? Uh, adapting mm. the uh, the demand versus the production, which is intermittent, which will be also quite concentrated in some areas with, with the demand. So I think this is the key true to decarbonization. So, so it mm. needs to be seen as, as a whole, really. Okay, well, that's very powerful, I guess, once you've got that. Okay, we can come back to that. That's fabulous. So, so, so if we just come back to Europe, maybe specifically, that was quite grand opening around sort of big ambitions and big statements. Mm. What, what, what do we see in Europe in terms yeah. of kind of the key targets in the region yeah. then? And there was a, a, a major uh, event a few few weeks ago, really at Ostende in Belgium. Right, we had a, a major offshore wind forum which gathered the head of states of, of nine countries around the North okay. Seas. It was Norway, the UK, uh, Germany, France, Denmark, Netherlands. I think it was Luxembourg, Ireland, as well, and Belgium. And and there, so really, you know, very big events where setting a clear ambition on on making the North Sea this key powerhouse for Europe through offshore wind. Um, and that the target then, those countries set a target for offshore wind of 120 gigawatts by 2030 and by 2050, 300 gigawatts for the North Sea. And I think that really gives us a sense of scale, right? Yeah. Um, that will be developed uh, over decades where we think that to die around the same area, we have a combined capacity less than 30 gigawatts. So we need to multiply it a tenfold, right? Um, So this means scaling up significantly, but that also represents, I would say, a fantastic opportunity really for for European supply industry, for developers um, and for for the the society. But this is definitely very ambitious targets. and um, yeah, Hekino is very happy to, 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 to see this type of targets. I think this is exactly what the entire industry needs. And then, um, and then it gives, um, you know, something to, to work for, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's great to see governments coming together because essentially it's going to require cooperation to make this work as well. And we, 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 mm. we'll, we'll, we'll come to some of that. But I mean, is it is it just those countries you've just listed there that are driving yeah. this or, or is, there, is there a broader set that are also kind of integral to to this, yeah. this scale where there might be even mm-hmm. more targets to consider, yeah. but certainly we've got that core group you've talked about. But what yeah. about sort of the, the wider beyond, picture? Definitely. Actually, I think there is a mix of existing and emerging markets as well. Okay. Um, the North is, is quite um, is quite a matured uh, environment, right, for offshore wind. Yeah. Uh, the Baltic is um, is uh, is also very interesting. Uh, Kinora's uh, development project in in Poland, okay. um, and I would say there is all a set of more emerging offshore wind markets in in the south of Europe, which will be driven mostly by floating offshore wind, okay. simply because of um, the characteristics of of the of the water depths in in those areas, which are more suitable for for floating offshore wind. But many of those countries, like France, like Portugal, um, Spain, and others. I've also set, you know, ambitions when it comes to uh, offshore wind uh, development, mostly driven by by floating offshore wind. So I would say it's it's mix of existing and emerging markets, and um, um, yeah, to meet um, big targets. Yeah, just just so maybe I, someone like myself understands, or someone like yourself is looking at the market day in day out. Would you say 
you know, somewhere like Italy also has become a bit of a surprise package as such in terms of a market that's suddenly come about that people weren't maybe spending enough enough time on in the past. And suddenly, well, look at this market, it's open tender and everyone's rushing for it in some respects. Mm. Or, I think that there are quite some few markets which I think see the potential of very attractive cost line, good wind conditions and... Uh, um, for a developer like like a company like ours, it's very important to see you know ambition level translated into clear pipeline of tenders or, or clear access pathway to to access to lease to develop. So I think what is really at scale is trans- translating these big ambition figures into concrete tender access pipeline visibility of you know uh, access to to lease or. Um, um and that's 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 why we we you know the entire also industry needs i think we've seen portugal now emerging with with targets a bit quicker than what spain would have said at the beginning so it might be there is still some some dynamics around this uh, these more emerging countries and realizing ambitions into clear pipeline is, is what is really needed um that's the clear access route for for projects yes i mean we've had some delays i guess as well right so it's not all been obvious next exactly. year we'll have another tender that's the one that's just got bigger and bigger in fact some things like Portugal, exactly. I believe, exactly. have been delayed and, and oh. it's not it's not obvious but okay we can come to talk about why some of that might be in just a minute but um <laughs> so, so so i guess the context here really is certainly let's say in northern europe it's a it's a tenfold increase um uh that governments are trying to set themselves from the current um targets and you've got a whole series of kind of emerging markets beyond that uh, call it a Poland on one side mm. and a Portugal on the other um, in, in terms of opportunity set. So there is in theory no shortage of opportunity and ambition exactly. uh, in this market. But I guess what I wanted to talk to you about specifically, Justine, is then, okay, so if you've got all of this, you've got all these opportunities coming up. What is it that you're seeing that's actually going to maybe be the difficulty in delivering mm. this because it mm. you know it, it, it's great to see but it's in grand scheme of things still a pretty nascent market mm. um so what are some of the challenges you see i guess indeed as you say i think the ambition level is there right um yeah. but there are a bit of stumbling blocks that could happen or derail a bit that plan along the way unless it's it's really addressed i would probably this into three different buckets i think one okay. would be around project development technicals. One is about the more the macro context and that we see and, and, and thirdly would be about the the auction design that can that can have the stimulus for meeting this this ambition levels. So if I, I start with the first one about the project um, project development part, I think that today we see that in some jurisdictions it takes eight to ten years to develop, and that's not from a technical perspective. We're able to really develop that from a much quicker way and half or third of that time. But what takes a lot of time is that permitting consenting. So really need to have a speedy, okay. reliable permitting process. And how can we do that? I think you know, simplifying the the, the system, maybe a one-stop shop, single point of contact framework that limit the number of appeals, etc. So some simplifications around that part. Yeah. Um, and then about 
second point, which is important enabler, is, is the grid connections. That really would ensure that you know all those electrons that will be produced will be able to to float across the markets and avoid the congestions and the cannibalization that can happen in in some very dense areas. And in order to do that, we really need to have a build out of the grid, both onshore and offshore, that enables that. Um, you know, sort of a network of of of, uh, of the offshore wind um, farms with with the demand, and that okay, is so that, really that's, sorry. That's a connection and uh, essentially a build out of the grid capacity exactly. itself onshore. Fine, okay. Onshore and, and offshore, so a hybrid project that we've this you know also putting up this interconnector, but also the op components onshore that 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 really brings the electrons to the customers. Okay. Um, so I think that's really permitting, consenting, and the grid connections really, really important. And and then beyond that, you know, there there will be innovations and technology developments which which will improve. But I don't see that as really really clear up bottlenecks. But um, there will be more digitization to optimize the ONM. There will be um, lots of data collections, etc. So that's so that's a bit on on the development side, I would say. And and so just just for, for my understanding then, so if you are obviously you know you go to any conference, let's just say this is these are two classic discussion points. Do you see movement in governments making efforts to to change this? And and you said about their simplification, that's what you can do. But on the project development side, you, do you see a realistic effort being made to change permanency and consenting? People really do want to change grid connections and infrastructure capacity. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different markets to talk about, but just in your sense, when you're looking at the mm. market, trying to make it work, what, 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 what's your view there in terms of how the markets um, are trying to, or governments maybe are no. trying to address that? Yeah, I think that there are some movements, but there is probably some even more collaboration. There are some really good project of energy islands coming up as well, you know, putting multipurpose interconnectors across across countries. I think that will show how, you know, European countries are going to collaborate, really. Um, and I think that's, that gives lots of opportunity, but still early days, right? We need to have that reflection to co-create and co-shape the design of those systems between between the regulator, between the developers, and key questions: um, who will own the cable? Who we are going? How are we going to use those um, those interconnectors? And on what terms will it give access to the power generation or just the infrastructures? Um, so all these sets of of key questions, which are in the making, and the will to develop those is there. So I think it's it's really going in the right direction, but it still needs lots of. Um, of uh, of co-work and collaborations around this and it's a new system thinking i would say on the permitting side um yes there is i think a, a political will to translate into um simplified um simplified um permitting system yeah. but we need to still see that in in actions so um, lots of probably good um good ambitions but needs to be translated into um in, you know, clear and clear, clear loads. Okay. And then what about the macro context then? Your sort of your second major point. What yeah. what, are you, what are you seeing there? Yeah, and I hear I think that um if we had had this discussion a year a year ago, probably yeah. had been very different, right? Yeah. Because the macro context I think is important to to to, to spend a bit of time on and, and reflect on because what we see globally is definitely increased cost of capital. That's one mm -hmm. point. General inflation—that's uh, another one. That's you know, it comes from 
increase of raw materials and and of course we've we've been facing uh, extraordinary times uh, over the last uh, the last year of covid and and Ukraine war so and of course this push of greater offshore wind delivery so that's all of that really translates into also significant increase uh, of cost and and supply chain squeeze um and and this increase in supplier chain cost is, is really beyond the general inflation um okay. so it's you know there are some bottlenecks um there are some bottlenecks and and that's really the macro context and uh, how is it important why is that important is because i think it's somewhat challenges a bit the the typical model that offshore wind has been operating with on okay. this has been a bit the norm in the in the business models um in 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 this in this um, industry where then there was a situation where you know there were signed offtake contracts uh, that was followed by reduction of of costs um and why reduction of costs because there was technology optimizations and falling interest rate rates and that all that resulted in could project retur- project returns really which was also boosted by by farm downs and now because of the macro really changing i think it, it could make a bit of a of a reset or a risk of flipping right um so it could mean um will the model continue to operate will it meet some some rethink uh will the recent cost increase resulted in in the project being challenged or not so i think it's it really changed a bit the the traditional way that we've seen offshore wind operating and developing a bit uh, over time hmm. and do you, do you think that macro context is causing people to to pause and go is this are, are are these the right projects for us? Is this the right region for us? I mean, I know it, it's it's mm-hmm. a global theme as well, but do you think this is causing people to to stop and think? You know, like mm-hmm. a, you, know, you tell your child if they're being naughty, but you know, <laughs> the same thing for the industry is are they having to stop and think mm-hmm. if like, hang on a minute, does this industry still make sense under these conditions? Mm-hmm. Is is that what you're kind of suggesting? Well, I think it needs to. Um... How this will affect in general projects um, uh, a bit difficult to really say, but I think it's a time to to pause and reflect. Yes, definitely. Uh, some companies might need to borrow more or not, uh, use more balance sheets, um, assessing the portfolio, the project by project. Will it be delays, renegotiating terms? Yeah, I think that will trigger lots of uh, of, of discussion. How will this affect as well competition in tenders? I think that's that's also quite uh, quite uncertain. But uh, um, it, it's it's um, it's it, yeah, it it it, it, it gives a, a time to to pause and, and reflect and whether it's a reset or change of more business models could be. I'm not saying, uh, but it triggers some key reflection. On the other hand, right as we've discussed uh, as the intro, is that the targets have never been that higher, right? So there yeah. needs to be that match between this uh, deliverability and and also this uh, this ambition levels. Mm. Absolutely, and, and and certainly. So we we we, uh, you know, Westwood as a business has done work around the kind of the cost side of things to try and help people understand where in the value chain who's impacted what, how, where, and what. And and it's interesting. The kind of cost of capital bit is mm. is. It's fascinating because, of course, it hits some businesses much harder than others because some of them can afford it or certainly choose alternative methods of of of, of pushing projects ahead. And others, let's say something like say in the floating wind industry, where there's a lot of smaller players, quite you know, 
uh, reliant on external capital. Either it's drying up or, or their cost of capital has gone up so much that an already expensive technology has become really expensive for them. Um, mm. And without sort of extrapolating too far, you know, the question that comes to mind is, does that lead to consolidation in the industry? Right. And does it lead to companies that are actually more able to weather this environment um, uh, to survive and, and mm -hmm. thrive? Um, and others may sort of wither away. Um, mm -hmm. you, you don't have to answer that because I'm not sure you, if you want to, but <laughs> it's just a, an interesting uh, discussion I've been having with some, yeah. some folks yeah. in, in the industry. I, and, and I don't have a specific answer. I think that that will make distinction between companies, developers, and competitors in general, the context. Mm. Will we see um, consolidations or not? Um, yeah, time will tell. I don't know. <laughs> time will tell. No, no. It's interesting, you know, no. creative destruction. It's, no. it's what happens, no. I guess, in, in, in all industries. Mm. But it'll be interesting to see, see where this goes. Um, okay, so... Um, you had one project development, two macro context, three was auction design. Yep. Hmm. What 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 what's on your mind around auction design and how it's either aiding or abetting what's what's going yeah. on here? Well, I think it's good that we take a little a bit of a look at the auction design and we've talked of the framework in terms of permitting, but auction design is 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 really key because this is how all those projects are. I put forward to developers, right? Um, uh, one of the points of addressing this macro is, and the inflation that we see in the macro is to to take that into account into how auctions are set. Um, we need auction design that cater for this increase of prices um, mm. because then it needs to work for the developer, the supply chain, and, and therefore the country of seeing those volumes being realized. And and that's really important that, you know, to ensure terms with inflation indexation, else that's, that could really put risks on 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 projects and may see a negative investment appetite. So that's, that's, that's one point. And we see that in some countries, this inflation indexation, which is really important. Mm -hmm. um, another point is really about... Um, and we've seen a, an increase in a trend, or at least an increase of ambitions for some governments about really local, local supply chain, local development, local jobs, and and um, and at the same time, low prices. Um, and and here, you know, seeing that a bit across all around the world, there needs to be a sort of a of a balance. So, driven governments have been seeing some needs to look to build local industry and creating jobs. But also, it might have impact on increasing costs for the project, mm. uh, and that also reduces the ability to really standardize uh, standardize these, uh, this, the, the supply chain and the development. So I think we need to find a strike a good balance between this local content uh, ambitions and the auction price, and and I think avoiding in, in designs any strict measure requiring really specific local content which will have an in quickly increase of, of cost so it needs to be balanced because the European industry should remain competitive as well. Yeah and I guess it's evolving even further if you think about things like so there's non-price factors being considered obviously so that's some of the things mm -hmm. you're talking about there on the localization side of things but there are other factors mm -hmm. being requested of developers yep. Um, to to justify their their bids or or to mm. enhance their bids, I guess is the word. Mm. But they all come at a, you know, while they're called non non price factors, they come at a price, a cost, uh, as such. 
Um, but also all the other factors that are going on. So you think about carbon border adjustment mechanisms, the push to get more sustainable, more generally mm. in the industry, yep. and all yep. those elements, they they continue to add layer upon layer of layer. Mm. What what I perceive when I look at the industry from a kind of access and build perspective, um, it becomes more complex, mm. way more complex than than you know when the industry first started. Um, I mean, is that what you're seeing as well when you're sort of assessing a bid and you're going, right, or, or not assessing a bid or considering whether to bid or putting a bid together? Um, are you seeing that level of complexity just increasing more and more and sort of essentially the uncertainty envelope increasing for you a bit as well? Is, is that fair mm. to say? Absolutely. I think, um, but, but we also like complexity. So we can handle complexity um, uh, well, I think. But indeed, you're right. There is a trend for more, more and more non-price criteria, such as um, yeah, ecology, environmental benefits, uh, integrated systems. And uh, probably the Netherlands is one of the, one of the, the countries that is um, the most advanced putting it to, to the next level, really. Yeah. Um, uh, but it also enables that those projects have a greater individual impact beyond you know the the the, the electrons right um so i think there is there is some some benefit in doing that but indeed it adds complex complexity so um i think it, it helps developing the growth of these additional technologies and and that's that's positive but it's also as you say it has an impact in layers of cost so it's finding again this this balance because that impact the business case that help that impact the prices as well. So uh, I think uh, positive to see some some non-price criteria, but needs to be also uh, also balanced. Mm. And what about you mentioned auction design, but what about incentive schemes more generally, right? So so I sit here in the UK, and right now we're going to have the next CFD auction going on, and there's a discussion around having. Um, non-price factors in that. Now, of course, mm. what you've got in the UK is auction, bit of time, CFD, <laughs> then FID, et cetera, pick an acronym. But but essentially, you've got a disconnect already between the two. And so there's an element of risk in there. And then you're adding non-price factors, potentially, um, mm. uh, into play at a later stage of development in a project. So you're not even bidding as such on that until a later stage. I mean, you know, you, you might not be able to sort of react specifically to that example, but I wanted to just give that example as to how incentive mechanisms are also now changing and evolving um, to to sort of support this market. How, how are you seeing that? Are, are incentive schemes going in the right direction for you? Well, I think you, you give the example of, of the UK. What I find it quite exciting and challenging at the same time is that there is not one single system across <laughs> each story, each country has its own systems. Um, so that makes it, um, you know, we, we need to look at case by case. We need to look at evaluate each market independently and, and the framework independently. But indeed, there are many different constellations. Uh, in terms of incentive or support, um, yeah, I think that's, that's important that the use and the national government consider targeted support on, on some items, right? either on the infrastructure or on the industry, which which will be needed to, again, reach this volume ambition. Um, there are different ways of doing that. Um, there are different ways. Uh, also, it affects the scope of the developer. Does it include the grid connection or not? Is the grid connection covered by the authorities, for example? Is it... Uh, 
CFD to waste CFD. So, so there are different there are different ways of support. Uh, and yes. uh, uh, and going back to the supply chain component, clearly. It will be see how to, it will be key to see how this Europe uh, Green Deal industrial plan will really, as a response to the American Inflation Reduction Act, will 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 trigger some efforts because indeed I think there needs to be opportunity to on ad hoc levels to to support that uh, that uh, that uh, that industry. That's that's one way of getting this incentive as well and and making uh, this uh, this project being developed um, indeed. Uh, ports, grid updates as well will be also critical pieces of this puzzle to make it happen. So is there some investment needed and how to get there? So there are different shape of forms of these uh, incentives. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I can see there's quite a few different ways of mm-hmm. of helping the industry evolve and develop and, and provide either providing certainty um, for, you know, for the benefit of financing and, and, and revenue certainty, et cetera, but also other parts of the, the ecosystem that, that, that can help the industry grow. I mean, it's interesting to, to hear this. I'm, I'm thinking if I go back two, three, four years, maybe we were talking very much around um, a subsidy-free opportunity world, you know, where costs were forever reducing and you were getting to a place where don't need subsidies anymore. You don't need support anymore. This industry is free on its own. And even, I mean, even the subsidy-free bids that you see now, as you're kind of suggesting, aren't percent essentially 100% subsidy-free because they're getting other forms of support to make that happen. But, but in essence, I mean, if I was to simplify, are we are we now beyond subsidy-free? As in, it's not good to talk about subsidy-free as an industry now that just isn't realistic in the current macro environment in the current setup that we've got the industry's moved beyond that that we're actually in a place where the industry needs a bit of help it needs a bit of support and it needs a bit of clarity as to how to move forward and and just talking about subsidy free opportunities is not the way forward and maybe it never was but (laughs) it's about taking a different approach but we'll see more and more market going merchants for sure, right? Any of this um, matured uh, continental north north part of the continental Europe are all there uh, to die. But but again, there is um, the scope which is at the charge of the developer is such that some part of the scope is taken by the state. So it's you know, right. but yes, exposure to merchant uh, having the developers. Finding of takes uh, for for the for the electron is uh, is definitely with regard to the bottom fixed uh, offshore wind. Um, you know, uh, certainly uh, the trend that we will see uh, going forward. Floating offshore wind, however, is is um, is probably um, you know still depending on the scale and the speed of development. Uh, you know, we'll need to 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 rely still on some on some on some supports. Okay, so if I take a quick step back, and you've answered a lot of this already as we've gone through, which is which has been fabulous. So thank you, Justine. But but around sort of, if I listen to your sort of three key areas, you know, around the difficulties or the or the challenges, so we say, but obviously they present opportunities in in their own way, around project development, the macro context, auction design, and and sort of other parts around that, around incentives. Let's just say. That's quite a package of things that present a challenge to to the industry, to governments, even right in terms of how to make this industry 
move forward. So how, you know, is, is what we've got appropriate right now as a market design or a setup? Um, I mean, I'm I'm hearing a bit of no, things need to change, but please can you uh, elaborate uh, or, or, or contradict me whichever way you wish to uh, on this one. But, but then maybe it's an extension of that because I'm sort of preempting your response a little bit. You know, what, what in a sort of a nutshell needs to change? What needs to evolve to 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 um, to deliver? Essentially, right? That's the question we're trying to answer here around deliverability. But and so, I mean, I will probably have to restate that maybe offshore wind is among the cheapest energy sources to die, right? Uh, that point. Uh, yes. Yeah, and uh, so more offshore wind will be good for for the pocket of the consumers, and uh, and that's um, so it's it's a cheap uh, energy sources. So. Uh, but as you said, I think system thinking will be required uh, a bit to deliver on those ambitions and, and collaboration. Uh, I think, you know, speeding up the development, maybe some uh, ad hoc support, uh, uh, targeted support, um, having auction design that enables the, the developer, the supply chain, and the countries to to all rip some benefits from 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 development of offshore wind is uh, is key and send some you know targeted support on on infrastructure when it when needed with maybe the opportunity set of building some really interesting interconnected markets where here again going back to my point collaboration will will be key well still quite a few different areas for the industry to sort out um, and I'm, I'm, I'm for one excited to see how how the industry is going to do all of that. And there's a, there's a lot of ambition. And 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 part of the reality, I guess, Europe, you, you know, is the politicians need to realise is it's a global market now, um, and there are global opportunities out there. Um, I agree with you. It is you know, a fantastic you know resource on the doorstep with provides cheap electricity to reach you know okay, capacity, but also climate targets. It's a wonderful thing. Um, but if people struggle to invest, and you're seeing this in other places, you're seeing this in the US, you're seeing this in, in, in different parts of Asia, right? It's If you struggle to invest, then people will turn their attention elsewhere. Um, uh, I mean, do you think there's a risk of that happening in Europe? Um, ambition's one thing, deliverability is another, and, and that results in people looking elsewhere? I don't think so. I think the appetite is uh, is there. Uh, I think there are some hurdles that we've discussed, but they are they are all manageable. So I think that the focus will be for 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 all the different actors, right? Uh, will be in in making it a, a success story. Uh, so I think we have lots of ingredients to make it happen. I think there is, uh, but of course, the, the points that we've discussed will should be addressed. But there is, um, I think, ambition level is there. Uh, readiness of of uh, of, de- of developers is there. Uh, supply supply chain, is, you know, as line of sight of, of some volumes. Um, so I think you know there is all the ingredients to make it um, realized um, as well. So no, I don't think that uh, the focus will shift away. No, I agree. It's good to good to end it on a positive note there then. Uh, Justine, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for taking the time to speak to us again. Very much appreciate your thoughts. I think it's great to see the ambition, opportunity, and, and, and I think the debate for deliverability, I think, will keep going because there's a lot to debate. But um, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that with us. 
Thank you very much, David. No problems at all. Thanks, everyone, for listening as well. Hope you enjoyed it. Please make sure you subscribe uh, and give us a great rating. Talk to you next time.